So hello again, this is uh, Mark Huxley from the, the Guild, um, doing another one of our, our regular podcasts, and pleased to say that I'm now in the company of fellow Freeman, Stephen Wheatley. Stephen? Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Good afternoon to you as well. So I just thought it'd be nice as we've done the other ones, just to, to explore your life away from the Guild and then just have a bit of a chat about what we all get up to the Guild and why it is we've, we've, we love the place quite, quite so much as we do. So... Probably a good place to start and let, let you tell your story rather than me do it. Um, just tell for those that may not know you, kind of who you are, what you do, and how you spent your life so far, your very long life so far. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Mark. Yeah, there is quite a lot of it, uh, I'm afraid, for the audience. Um, so, um, in, not in any particular order of importance, but I'm uh, married with uh, to Barbara. I uh, have been for quite a long time. We met something like 42 years ago. Um, and we have three wonderful children and two grandchildren. And that takes up quite a lot of our time. Um, from a work point of view, I've spent most of my life in business development of one form or another. Uh, we can maybe talk about that more if, you, mm-hmm. if that's of interest. Um, and I got to a point where one of the companies I was involved in got acquired by a very well-known organisation and I was not required on voyage, I think is the polite way of saying it. So having left with a little bit of money myself and some of my ex-colleagues got together and started another business and that, if you like, was a sort of start of my purely entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a quick gallop through the, the sort of uh, business history. Um, outside of work, um, and outside of my family, because they're both very time-consuming and very rewarding, I also spend uh, a great deal of time uh, pursuing various hobbies. Our house does look like a sports shop, um, of various hobbies over the years, but the ones which I've sort of stuck with, I'm a very keen cyclist um, and sailor, and will go anywhere to pull on a rope or jump around on a boat. And... Um, I have also been a volunteer on a lifeboat for the last 14 years on the River Thames. Okay, well we'll come back to the lifeboat in a little more detail in a minute, but I think you missed one hobby out which is quite guild important, that uh, you ski as well. Ah. And, and, and our captain and up until this year the entire team of the Guild of Entrepreneurs <laughs> and, into and, livery and, skiing team. And, and of course the Guild of Entrepreneurs downhill Grant uh, Giant Slalom record holder. <laughs> All comers. Uh, yes, absolutely. On the basis, I was the only person who has entered and has completed the course. Yes, so thank you for reminding me that. Um, I didn't, it, it's, uh, we're recording this in October, and I haven't really got my head around the fact that the ski season is quite close yeah, around the corner. Yeah, yeah it'll, it will be about two months' time two and a half months time um, second or third week in January when the Guild of Entrepreneurs fields a real team in the interlivery skiing competition which takes place annually in Morzine um, it's a tremendous event actually I don't know how it started but um, hats off to the Ironmongers who I think organise it and um, somewhere in the order of 250 people of various different ages appear and uh, go through a qualifying process and then conduct a giant slalom and and that's interspersed with quite a lot of social um, and a number of dinners Mm. and it's a really great way of meeting people from other companies Mm. and yeah as you as you say this year we have I think five of us are going and uh, yeah really looking forward to it Mm. yeah that's in January. 
And I think, well, we'll talk more about the Guild in a, in a short while, but I think that, that that is the epitome of what makes city livery life good, isn't it? Just the fact that you've got this ragtag group of people from all different back, backgrounds, I'm but you get to that one Sorry to interrupt place. you, host, but I'm not sure that I would call them ragtag. <laughs> you, you may, but you're not actually coming. <laughs> if any of them hear this, I would be. I think they might be offended. There are some of the great... And so the I good. say that with a great sense of endearment. Ah, right, yes, of course. Um, the... The first time we went, um, my wife and I turned up at a bar and I turned up at a drinks evening and this very elegant, tall chap came over and he said, and, and who are you? And I said, oh, hello, I'm Stephen Wheatley. I'm from the Guild of Entrepreneurs. He said, my name is, and I will, uh, we won't say his name to preserve his blushes. My name's so-and-so. I'm, I'm a weaver. We were founded in, I think he said, 1152. And I don't mean eight minutes to 12. <laughs> and um, he said, I'm going to adopt you. Would you like to come for dinner? And so this complete happenstance met very casually, very informally at a dinner, resulted in Barbara and I being uh, escorted back to this magnificent chalet and wined and dined luxuriously. I think he was perhaps trying to sabotage my race by overplying me with red wine. <laughs> but it was wonderful. And, and we uh, fell into the company with the shipwrights and ironmongers and also air pilots and all sorts of other liveries. And it's a really good way to get to know people. Mm. And I think, you know, if I might just try and link in with something else, it's part of the inspiration that you and I have discussed about trying to get an interlivery cycling mm. event together. Mm. Um, now, I don't know that we get 250 people to do an event, but... Um, everything had to start somewhere. Mm. I don't suppose there were 250 skiers on day one. Um, so I think if we're able to next year, as we hope, to to have a trial interlivery skiing, uh, interlivery cycling, cycling event, yeah. I think it's September, was yeah. that muted? Yeah. Um, sometime in September. That could be the start of something. And I know from feelers that we've put out that there are four or five companies mm. who'd like people to join Mm. join that such an event mm. and, and anyone listening to this just get in touch with the guild with either the pair of us or the clerk or whatever and just express interest because it, yeah, it's definitely definitely something we would we would love to be able to put on yes it's, um, it'd be nice because it'd be nice to be you know being one of the uh, newer organisations within the city livery you know, we are, we do seem to be punching above our weight this is not me saying this this is other people saying oh Again, I go back to interlivery skiing or people you meet at other dinners. My brother, for example, is a member of the Worshipful Company of Scientific Instrument Makers. And I went to a dinner there and sat next to one of their uh, past masters. And he said, oh, I've heard all about you. Now, I'm not entirely sure why, how this has happened. But, you know, we're building a reputation. Mm. And for that, I, I think it's quite remarkable in such a short period of time. Mm. And doing things like having an interlivery cycling competition and joining other interlivery events, I think, is a is a is, a, is an excellent yeah, way no. promoting our existence. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, just before we quick tangent back to to your life away from the guild, just to to cover off your life as an entrepreneur. So, okay. you, you said about your so your journey yeah, into your own so, businesses. Um, so uh, many of the audience won't remember this, but there was, there was a, t a date that, was, that I've written in a book that was 1990. Um, um, and it was, you know, it's a very long time ago. And the company I was a uh, marketing director of was acquired by one of our biggest competitors. 
and it became very clear after a short period of time they wanted to behead the organisation that they'd acquired. It's quite common, and I don't bear them any ill will, um, because what happened next was actually quite exciting and you know, paid for my kids to go to a very good school. So um, I, I, for that, I thank them. Um, so myself and three of my colleagues got together. Um, one of them had... Uh, come into contact with a company in America that had developed a technology that would recover, would enable the police to identify and then recover stolen motor cars. And it, it had been featured on Tomorrow's World. Now, I don't know whether you know this, but there used to be a, uh, a group of companies that were cursed by that were cursed by the fact they'd been featured on Tomorrow's World. So they'd all get very, very excited um, that they'd been featured by on Tomorrow's World and then the company either wouldn't get funding, the technology wouldn't do what they said it would do. So we were a little cynical, um, but we went to the States and we secured the license for this technology on an option. So we didn't pay them any money, but they said, we said, can we go and explore it? Anyway, long story short, after about 18 months, we raised eight and a half million pounds. We managed to sign up all 52 of the UK police forces, as was then, this is before the amalgamations in Scotland, and they said, yes, we'll support it, and yes, we'll track the vehicles. It's quite remarkable, really. Um, and then we start the process of marketing and sales, which is my, baby, mm. my area of interest, my area of opportunity. So I hadn't been paid for 18 months, and we went, went to have a meeting with a chap, very enlightened chap, at the Norwich Union Motor Insurance, and he was about to go on holiday. And we went to his house and we actually packed his car while we discussed what we were going to do. And he said, let me think about it and I'll phone you when I arrive in my holiday villa in wherever it was in France somewhere. And good to, to, to his word, he phoned us the following morning and said, I can't see any reason why we wouldn't support this. And we were then away to the races. Basically, mm. we had the you know, we had all all the police forces. The technology worked, and we had the support of all the, of one of the biggest motor insurers in the in the UK. The other in those days, I think there may have been thirty five big motor insurers. Um, anyway, so we now have the ingredients of quite an interesting cake. Um, the rest of it is, as any entrepreneur will know, lots of hard work, lots of late nights thousands of miles driving around the country in those days. Um, the output was we borrowed eight and a half million pounds and we, the business was sold seven years later for just under 40 million. And the, the sales operation, which I was leading, had sold somewhere close to 350,000 units, every one of which paid us a pound a week rent. So every Monday morning, mm. there was £350,000 beyond the front door. So, yeah, very exciting. I bailed out at that time and then went on to do uh, several other mm. entrepreneurial things. But that's the, that's the biggest one. That was a business called Tracker, Tracker Network. Yeah, yeah. And it's still in business today, I understand. So. No, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And, and just to, to kind of round that business story off, the world of hearing is your... Yeah. Your world now, isn't it? Yes, I've um, had a couple of entrepreneurial adventures. Um, some of them have been successful since I left Tracker in the late 90s. Um, some of them have been successful, some of them less so. Um, but in the, for the last 10 years, I've been involved in um, trying to stop headphone users from losing their hearing. So in very simple terms, we both have a pair of ears. 
the design specification was drawn up probably five million years ago. And it was designed so we could do what we're doing now, which is to talk to each other and communicate. Um, probably more in grunts then than what we now call language. Um, but also to preserve us from being eaten or falling into natural risks, you know, like caverns and waves in and waterfalls, that sort of thing. Um, so the problem we've got is they weren't designed to listen to four hours of electronic dance music every day. And as a result, we're seeing people going into uh, audiology clinics now with hearing that's probably 20 or 30 years older than they are. Mm. So on one hand, you've got life expectancies gradually increasing. So I have two grandkids, their life expectancy actuarially probably in their early 90s at this stage. So, you know, barring feast, famine and war. But they're hearing, if they carry on as the average suggests, they could probably be hard of hearing for more than half their life. So we've developed some uh, technologies to uh, enable you to listen to music using headphones or listen to anything using headphones, um, but to understand the effect that that might be having on your hearing. And uh, yeah, that's been a very interesting mm. development. We've been doing it for the last 10 years. We have... In our occupational business, we have some very large customers you'd recognise, people like the BBC, uh, QBC, ITV, Sky, people like that. Um, but this particular uh, product we're focused on at the moment is for consumers. It's called Hear Angel. And it meets, we've worked over the last five years with the people who write the safety standards. And it now looks as though they're going to write a safety standard that requires wireless headphones to have a system similar to ours. It, they're not going to say it has to be ours, obviously, which mm. is a great, great shame. Um, but uh, it will mean that there will be, um, the licensing discussions we're having will move along a lot mm. faster. So that's what we're doing. Um, looking for our first major headphone company to, to license from us. Um, got a couple of deals in the wings and um, and um, nibbling my nails in anticipation of getting a letter of intent so, oh, so that's where we are <laughs> nibbled nails fingers crossed well the entrepreneurs who are listening to this will you 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 find your ideal customer you have the conversation and they sound really interesting interested we're funded by investors i have to go and raise some more money i need a letter of intent to go and do mm. that and with, you know, that, I need that letter of intent, mm. and I probably need it in the next two weeks. So we're, you know, we're, we're a, a little bit in. We um, have, you know, travelling in great expectations, as we say. Mm. So. Good. so just turning to matters of the Guild, as, as you kind of referenced it, what, what kind of drew you to the Guild in the first place? Um, well, it's... He won't. For, he will never forgive me if I don't mention him. So it's it's actually Colin Spiller's fault, and I always tell him that every time I meet him. But then I thank him for inviting me. Um, he asked. He, he phoned me up and he said, "Would you like to be a founder member of a city livery company?" And I said, "What's that?" He said, "About a thousand quid." Yeah. Now. Uh, <laughs> it, Apart from the humorous side of that, and I've known Colin for some years, and and he's been very helpful to my business at various times. Um, he then introduced me to a few other people, including our founding master. And um, on consideration, I I liked the concept of spending time with other people who've had parallel journeys, or 
or even very different journeys, but in an entrepreneurial sense, because I'm a bit of a sponge. Um, I know I talk a lot, but I actually, underneath it, I'm actually listening and looking for ideas, and I'm never shy of stealing a good idea. So I like being around people that I can learn from, um, and hopefully who I can perhaps help in some way. Um, I like the ambitions of the Guild to promote entrepreneurship. I think you know, our country's going through a very curious time at the moment. I don't want to get into how I personally feel about that, it doesn't matter, but we are in a very curious time at the moment. Um, but I can tell you with absolute certainty, the best way for whatever the outcome is, the best way for this country to grow and to flourish is to encourage entrepreneurship. Because until somebody starts something, sells something, develops something, very little else happens. You know, you can carry on bumbling along, getting 5% improvement every year. But if you can encourage entrepreneurs to start completely new businesses, then that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic for the economy. It's fantastic for the government for taxation reasons. It's fantastic for the people because you get self-realisation. Um, you know, there's lots and lots of positives. Mm. And, I, and I really enjoy that part of the guild's activities and enjoy it. Mm. And I, I I hope I do my fair share of contributing to the outreach programme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of this stuff hits just the rhythm of society as well, where you know, the, the rise of the so-called millennial and that empowerment thing, many more of them want to be self-employed, they want that chance. It feels like the guild came along at a very good time, look at the last two, mayor, two Lord Mayors, you know, it's been very much about, right, you know, we want to make the city digital first, or I think this year's, I'll probably get it slightly wrong, is, you know, tomorrow's future today. Yeah. Know, so, uh, I think, I think, yes, I think if, if, I think, is it the zeitgeist, you know, the sort mm. of underlying theme that everybody's talking about is entrepreneurship. Um, I think that uh, digitisation, not universally marvellous, there are downsides, but no time to get into that here. But what it does do is it reduces a lot of the barriers to entry. You know, I think about, um, you know, we're running a business at the moment which has a load of intellectual property, an enormous amount of know-how, completely subcontracted manufacturing, and I'm running most of it out of my bedroom or out of a bedroom which is converted into an office in my house. And there's four of us, and we're engaged with some of the world's biggest corporations I'm not sure you could have done that 30 years ago. You know, they would have expected to come to your office. They don't anymore. They say, what have you got that's of interest? I don't care what you've spent your money on, whether you've spent it on a big office or not. So I think the barriers are relatively low. Um, I think the challenge is to, uh, for a lot of young entrepreneurs is to find mentors and people to get them through the early stages, because things go wrong. When you're doing stuff that's never done, been done before, it goes wrong. It's not unsurprising it goes mm. wrong, is it? Um, and it's not easy, otherwise everybody do it. And I think that's one of the things the Guild can do, is to, to, to help people. And, you know, they, the, 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 the mentee falls, you pick them up, you dust them down, and you say, you're not the first person to have ever fallen. It doesn't matter how many times you fall, mm. as long as you get up one more time than you fall, really. Mm. And... Try not to make that mistake again. You know, you can make it once, maybe twice, but do it three times. That's a bit. You know. mm. So I think the zeitgeist is right. I think that the idea is right. Um, and I, th I above all else, I find it really rewarding. 
the uh, mentoring we did with the University of Westminster, for example, um, I found that absolutely fascinating. Um, I was working with a, 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 a woman who'd come from Syria. I, I, don't, I don't know how I, I've read about it. I'm aware of the geopolitics of it all. But she was one of those people that was traded when we took people from Turkey. And she came here and she then took a master's degree. And her commitment and enthusiasm was infectious. And we were able to help her mm. and to get her to a point where her, her project works. And it was, that's, I found that fantastically mm. rewarding. No, I, I, I hope she did. <laughs> I should ask her. <laughs> I'm sure she did. No, but I, again, I, I think generally, same as you, I, I love the outreach we're doing, the, the exposure it gives you to people. And if I, I did the LBS summer school this year, and I'm now positively in touch with those that I mentored there, and one or two of them actually want to now build a business. And you've become that trusted friend. Yes. Know, whether, whether you choose to gift that... <clears throat> Make pay for it or whatever doesn't it's important. It's just that you've you've left that mark on somebody. You know, because I think it's a very positive you know experience. Yeah, that's a real privilege, isn't it? Mm. Now, I think I think mentoring is um, is a real is a real privilege um, to be asked to do it and then to do it and they keep coming back. I think that's a, a, whether or not you paid for it. I mean, yeah, it's nice to be financially rewarded, but it isn't the be all and end all, mm. is it? No, and and again, I think in a you know broaden it out slightly. I think the, it it is that kind of wider fellowship that we gain in the guild. Again, just being amongst each other, because again, we're all still on our own journeys and doing things. So yeah, you know, I think... the thought that you can dip into this enormously broad pool of experience and and life that sits in there. Yeah, I'm. I, I think that's right, and I, I don't have been. Uh, I'm just slightly surprised when I look at the guild and the activities that we do, and I look around. You know, I'm aware because I look after. You know, I look after the LinkedIn profile. So I'm. You know, we have we have 140 something members, and I'm very surprised that there's a sort of group that we don't get to see very often. And I think, I think one, I'm probably missing them. I'd like to meet them. You know, I made some very interesting contacts, friends, you know, acquaintances through the guild. But there's a group of them, I haven't quite quantified it, but it'd be very nice to meet them and mm. find out, you know, are they, do I have anything that I can offer them that, that would be helpful? Mm. Um, you know, do they want to get involved in these projects and mm. maybe enthuse them in some way and getting involved a bit more? Mm. But I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. But. No, and uh, well, I think it's like any members association, you only ever get out what you put in and people's motivations are different. So yeah, whilst you respect people that probably are happy to have the badge of membership not be active, it, I, I, I live on your spectrum. I love the fact that whether it's informal drinks a month or you go to the dinners or even some of the outreach things that we do, yeah. and somebody pops up that you've not met before that, that lives in Guild World and you shake a hand and you make a friend and you think, yeah, yeah you know, and it's just really interesting people. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's right. I, and I, I'm, you know, I'm obviously empathetic. I mean, I'm, I'm quite lucky. I live six miles from central London, so it's it's really not a it's not a, a challenge. There are restrictions, obviously, because I have my uh, my family and my um, and other other commitments that I'm involved in. But yeah, I know I, I have some empathy if you live you know hundred miles away and you have to catch a train home. Mm. Some, yeah, I can completely understand that. Mm. But yeah, it would be nice to to the broaden the active group mm. within the uh, within the guild. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. 
just on reflection, when I spoke to Dan and Colin about it, it was pretty clear, because at that stage there were only 40 of us. I mean, I think, I'm not quite sure what number I was, but I, I was certainly less than 45 or something. Um, it was, you know, pretty clear. It was made clear to me that there was no point joining this just to get a badge or just to get something to put on your LinkedIn profile. Um, this was, a, you know, if, you, if that's what you want, you probably better, there are other companies to join, you know. Mm. Um, so I think, uh, you know, true to the promise I made Dan and to Colin when I um, said I would join, then, yeah, I'll, I'll mm. stay involved. As much as I'm able, you know, I do have other commitments which yeah, do drag yeah. well they're not dragging on my time they occupy my time mm. but they are um i like to they keep my life in balance if that makes any sense no no very much so so you know obviously i'm a volunteer on a lifeboat um and i often get a look like the one you just gave me which is i can't quite understand why you do that <laughs> oh, i'm not giving you that look. I, I know exactly why you're doing it. i admire you for well, doing it that, that which was actually just a you know, just to kind of maybe bring the bring the, the, the kind of interview to a bit of a close. It, it's worth and we should talk about that. What you do with the lifeboat, and more more so what you were telling me before we started about next year and the fact it's your seventy fifth birthday. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. And, uh, and uh, as soon as we've got this in one take so far, I will resist the temptation to give you a tap. Um, <laughs> Ouch. So, <laughs> so okay. So. Fourteen years ago, I'd just finished a physical challenge where I'd been raising some money for um, uh, breast cancer care, and I was thinking about what to do next. And I'd done these periodic challenges, and I've always been very fond of the lifeboat, and I didn't realise that they existed in London. So I took the opportunity to apply, and uh, within a period of probably two or three weeks, I'd done they called volunteer shifts. And they tell you it's to see whether you like it, being a volunteer. Don't kid yourself. It's to make sure they like you. <laughs> um, because you're in close confines with people, 12 hours a day. You've got to be able to get on with people and, and get things done. Um, and I, I joined the crew and have been there for 14 years. And it's been, apart from Barbara and the children, it's the best thing I've done in my entire life. Um, they are some of the most interesting, diverse, amazing people you'll ever come across. And some of the work we get to do is shocking, amusing, entertaining, challenging, everything you could ever think of. And it is complete therapy. I don't know, you know some of our colleagues may have physical businesses where they're, they're entrepreneurs that do physical things. I don't. I tend to drive a keyboard most days. Um, the lifeboat is much more physical, hands-on kind of activity. Um, and jo no joking, um, it is complete and utter therapy for everything else I do. So next year is 15 years. I'm not 75, in spite <laughs> of the fact I look it. Um, I'm 65 and I've been on the crew 15 years. And to celebrate that, I'm going to raise money for the RLI by doing the London Marathon. Now... 65-year-old man doing his first marathon. I'm not actually going to run it. I'm going to hurry it because I'm going to do it in all of my personal protective equipment. So I'll be wearing my work boots, my yellow overalls, life jacket and a helmet. And um, I'm going to be raising money for the RNLI to say thank you for 15 mm. amazing years. Brilliant. Brilliant. And I can't think of a 
better place to draw a close. So thank you, Stephen. My pleasure. Pleasure doing this, as always, a pleasure being a friend. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.